To the woman, he, that is the Lord, to the woman, the Lord said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with such a comprehensive word. Uh, we live in a time that is very blessed in the respect that we have both Old and New Testaments, Father. And we thank you, Father, that we, we have the light of the new shining down on the old at the foundation of the old, buttressing the new. And Father, we ask that you'd be pleased to bless us as we study this foundational text, Father. That, Father, you would especially bless us as it pertains to marriage and the family. So, Father, we look to you to be our teacher and guide. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last week, we began a new study, and our study centered largely on what has been called the first gospel or the proto-gospel, the proto-euangelion. You'll hear these various names applied to Genesis 3 and verse 15. And this is fitting because we said that Genesis is a foundational book. Uh, Genesis, by its very name, means foundation, origin, source. Uh, so it's a foundational book. And we know the context pretty well. We've been over it many times. We know that Adam and Eve have been graciously given life and that they were placed in the Garden of Eden and that uh, they were given the fruit of all the trees in the garden for food. Uh, they were to abstain only from one tree in the garden. Uh, but we also know that uh, they, f they fell from this state of innocence that they've been created in, that they disobeyed God. Uh, they ate from the tree of which they were not supposed to eat from. And from the state of innocency which they were in, they fell into the realm of sin, death, and misery. And the Lord comes into the garden. He questions Adam, and we see a different kind of Adam in Genesis 3 than we saw in Genesis 2. Uh, in Genesis 2, Adam is praising God for his wife, who is bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. But after the fall, we find a different kind of husband. As God questions him, he quickly throws his wife under the bus in an attempt to exonerate his own rear end. And uh, furthermore, he blames God for the mess that he's in. And here we find the beginning. Uh, we find mankind at this point to be self-centered. And we begin seeing the tendency to want to blame God for things in this life. Now, uh, no sooner do we see such great darkness um, that the Lord comes in in verse 15, and there we find incredible grace. In verse 15, we're told that a Savior will come. And that's a pattern in the Bible, isn't it? Where, you, you know, you encounter these valleys of darkness, you know, and God doesn't leave us there, does he? You know, he leads us through those valleys and brings us upon these summits of grace. And that's what verse 15 is. I mean, you look back again at verse 15. He says there that of the woman will come 
uh, one who shall bruise the head of Satan. And in the process, of course, his heel will be bruised. We teased that out last week. We studied that and we saw that one who will come, he will destroy the work of Satan. He will reverse the effects of the fall. Uh, and uh, the essence of last week's message was how does Jesus defeat Satan? And, you know, anyone, how does anybody remember? How? Speak it out, Emily. The cross, yeah. Now, more specifically, how does he do it at the cross? He silences the accusations, doesn't he, for all eternity. That's one aspect of it. It's not a final word on it, but it's a good place to start. And uh, Jesus defeats him, silencing the accusations. Now, this morning we move to verse 16, which will describe the consequences of what has been done. And here the Lord speaks to the woman and through her to women in general. So with this context in mind, let's begin. Let's take a look at verse 16. Our verse begins with the words, to the woman he said. Now, again, let's always remind ourselves of who is speaking here. The Lord is speaking. I called that to your attention when I read the verse. It is the Lord who is speaking. And let us remind ourselves to who's being addressed. It's to the woman. Now, in this context, we know that Eve is the first hearer of this word. And, um, you know, she has just rebelled against God. She questioned God's integrity and character. Uh, But what is being said to her will apply to every woman from this point forward. Okay, what does the Lord say to the woman? He says, well, to start, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Now, what does that mean? Now, someone might say, Rick, that's silly. What do you mean, what does that mean? That's a silly question. I mean, everybody knows that it's incredibly painful for women to give birth to children. I mean, why would you, why would you ask that silly question? And we have a couple moms here this morning. You know firsthand, don't you? Firsthand. Um, well, um, when I ask what this, what does this mean? I'm not asking a silly question. I'm going to show you why. Notice that the Lord says that He will multiply the pain. The NIV renders that I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Now, here's my question. He's going to multiply it or increase it from what? Um, What are we to make of this? I mean, would it have been painful for Eve to have given birth to children in the Garden of Eden had Eve never sinned? I can't think that it would have been for a split nanosecond. Um, Now, I I think it's clear here that the pain is the result of the fall. In other words, pain is the result of rebelling. And if there had not been a a rebellion, I don't believe for one split second that women would suffer giving birth. And in fact, to the contrary, I'm going to offer you my opinion on this right now. So I just kind of say a time out. This isn't thus saith the Lord, but I think it's well founded. This is one of those moments where I promised you, listen, when I'm offering an opinion, I'm going to let you know really clearly. It's just an opinion, but I think this is a well-founded opinion. I think had Adam and Eve never sinned, 
I think the process of giving birth would have been marvelous and painless. I don't think there would have been any pain attributed to it whatsoever. Um, the wonderful, given the wonderful character of God being what it is, given the express command to be fruitful and multiply, I believe the act of giving birth would have been really something else from start to finish. And I believe it because even with the pain, how many of you, would, if you had to do it over again, would do exactly what you did? I mean, you could still count it, even as painful as it is. You could still count it as a blessing. So that's my opinion on it, and take it uh, for what you want. But back to thus saith the Lord. I don't believe for a second there would have been pain in the, in the Garden of Eden for anything. Um, so back to my question, what does the Lord, what's he mean when he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing? Well, that there will be pain now in giving birth? That's dead obvious. Uh, we, we know that. Uh, but I think there's more here. Let me explain. In verse 16, you'll notice we have a parallel construction. We could look at one, one part of the parallel as I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And then the next line, in pain you shall bring forth children. You don't have to turn there, but if you think back to Genesis 1.28, there, there the Lord blesses Adam and Eve and commands them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Now, with these three things in mind here, let's think this through for a second. If Adam and Eve would not have sinned, then they would have produced offspring, little boys and little girls, who would have been marvelously holy. And they would have uh, loved the Lord their God with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, and all of their strength. And they would have been marvelously holy, and they would have loved others like they loved themselves. But instead, Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord. And what is the result of that? The result of that is Adam and Eve will fill the earth not with marvelously holy uh, little ones running around who love the Lord, their God, with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as themselves. No, to the contrary, they're going to give, they're going to rear offspring that are self-centered who do not love the Lord with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, who do not love their neighbor as themselves. Now, what is going to be the result of that? I mean, what happens to a home when it is filled with self-serving rebels? What happens to a home when it is run by self-serving rebels? Can self-serving rebels do otherwise than raise self-serving rebels? I don't mean any unkindness here. I'm just thinking this through. This is what we have, isn't it? Now, what happens is misery, and it's a particular misery that impacts mom. It's a particular misery that impacts mom. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying it has no impact on dad. Um, I, listen, it does. Um, but it's mom's, it's, today's for mom. We're going to think about mom today, okay? It impacts dad for sure. Uh, 
don't misunderstand me. I don't want to be understood as saying there's no impact on, impact on dad, but there's tremendous impact on dad. But today's mom's day. Um, um, I do want to be understood as saying that there's a certain pain that's felt by mom. And let me refer to it as maternal pain. No, there's a certain pain that is felt by mom. There's an old blues song, and this is a great place for an old blues song, isn't it? There's an old blues song whose lyrics go like this. When things go wrong, are wrong with you, it hurts me too. There's this certain pain that is especially tuned to mom. And you mothers could all get together and talk about what I'm saying. I think on sociologically speaking, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that you carried these children. You carried them. You were one with them for a period of time. You felt their first kick. Um, and I think, secondly, verse 16 has a lot to do with it. In fact, I would say that verse 16 has even more to do with it. When, crit, when kids grow up and they do knucklehead stuff, and when kids grow up and rebel against everything, when kids grow up and make hurtful decisions and choices, when things happen to your kids, well, it impacts the whole home, but certainly impacts mom. Mother's hearts bleed when these things happen. And I know, fellas, it hurts, uh, it hurts the father too. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't, but the focus this morning is on how it affects mom. That's what verse 16 is focusing on. The Lord is speaking to the woman, isn't he? And let's call this maternal pain. I mean, when kids grow up and they make bad choices, when kids grow up and they rebel, when kids grow up and uh, things happen to them, it affects you. And uh, I think this is what the, the multiplying is all about here in this verse. I mean, listen here, God is good. And even in our fallen state, he gives us wonderful seasons of grace and bearing and raising children. You know, he gives us wonderful seasons, but it's a long, hard road. It's a long, hard road, and um, it's got many a winding, a turn, and it's, it's the most difficult assignment that we undertake in this lifetime, by far, and it starts with pain, and it'll have many seasons of pain, and I think that's what the idea of increase Multiply. I think that's what's in the verse here. We could talk about this for a long time. I want to move on. Uh, the last sentence of verse 16 is quite cryptic at first, but in a moment I think I'll show you that it's quite clear. Notice the Lord is still talking to the woman. He says that your desire shall be for your husband. What in the world does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word translated desire is a word that is very rarely found in Scripture, only like three times, if memory serves me correctly. But fortunately, it does occur a second time in our general context. And this time I would like you to look. If you look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, there in verse 6, Genesis 4, verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Now look at verse 7. If you do well, 
will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Now look what's said next. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, we don't have time to develop the whole story here. And besides that, we're going to be there in a couple of weeks anyway. But the short of it is the Lord comes in. uh, He comes to Cain and points out to him that, listen, sin is all over you, man. Sin is crouching at your door. Uh, I think we can understand that easily enough. And then he says it's desires for you. Same same word is in verse 16 of chapter 3. And here the word desire is pointing to the fact that sin wants to do what to Cain? It wants to rule over him and have mastery over him. That's what it's up to. Uh, And therefore Cain must master and rule over it. Now, when we bring this to verse 16, it suddenly becomes clear, your desire shall be for your husband. In other words, there's going to be a temptation. There's going to be an inclination. There's going to be a vice as a result of the fall. And this temptation will be desire for the wife to want to rule over or have mastery over her husband. Now, I may already be in trouble with a man um, this morning, uh, so now I figure I'll just work on getting in trouble with the ladies. And that reminds me that there was an announcement that I forgot. Uh, immediately following the service this morning, there will be a stoning in the parking lot. Um, everyone is um, invited to bring their own rocks, okay? Um, this is one of the most heated subjects that you can get into. It really is. I mean, there's a lot of heat associated with it. But I'll tease, but I won't apologize for teaching what the Bible says. I just won't apologize for that. Um, It's not my message. I didn't, I wasn't there. This is the Lord speaking. And uh, we should never apologize or be ashamed of his word. um, You know, why, why is God giving us this word? It's out of grace he's given us this word. He wants to lead us out of this mess. He's leading us out of this mess. He's equipping us. He wants our families to be strong and healthy. He's not doing this to be mean. To the contrary, it's mercy. It has to be taught. It's his method. So we teach this. He wants to train us up in the way that we will go. That having been said, this has got to be one of the most heated subjects that you really can get into. Um, But again, I would say it's imperative for the health of the family. Because we live in a day where the father figure has really been um, so uh, badly ruined. Um, you know, always my prime example of this is back in the 90s, the, the show Married with Children, which showed the father just being a bumbling fool, you know. And uh, today it's progressed where both parents are bumbling fools. How many commercials do you see where, you know, the parents, they just look like bumbling fools and the kids are are like wise, you know. Um, Come on, we know better than that, don't we? Um, It's an assault on the family, and we need to to notice it. We need to resist it. One of the most effective ways to destroy anything is to destroy the leadership. You want to destroy a business, destroy the leadership. Go after the leadership, you'll destroy the business. You want to destroy a church, go after its leadership, you'll destroy the church. You want to destroy a home, Destroy the father figure, and you'll destroy the home. The lines are so blurred today uh, of, in regards to the unique role that the father plays. Those lines are so blurred that they're, they're, there's a generation of folks who have grown up and have never seen the distinction hardly at all. 
this would be foreign, uh, very foreign. But you notice I'm using the word role, R-O-L-E. It's important that we use the word role. I'm using it in the sense of function. You know, um, moms function in a very beautiful way. I mean, when all things are right, what's more beautiful than the way mom functions when all things are right? Some people grow up and mom's not what she should be. It's hard for people who have grown up in that situation to, to grasp this. But when mom is, when mom is uh, fulfilling her role, what's more beautiful? It's very beautiful. Um, fathers also have a role. It's a different role. And I think that a lot of the heat of what I'm saying can be alleviated when we understand that we're not talking about status. We're talking about roles. We're not talking about status. I've heard people talk about this and they, they refer to it as status and I think that's where a lot of the heat comes from. We, we each have unique roles, um, but we're not talking about status here. Um, we're talking about function. And God's design for the family is a design that involves the husband leading the family. Now, this is problematic in a lot of ways. I mean, first of all, this requires the husband's willingness to lead. There are men out there that just won't lead. Uh, that's sinful. It needs to be resisted. They just won't lead. Uh, someone said, well, how can you say that's sinful? Well, look at the, what happened in the garden. When, when Satan's in there working all over Eve and just all over her, what's Adam doing? Is he taking leadership? Is he assuming any kind of leadership? Is he doing anything? It's just, he's just there. And how'd that work out? So there's our prime example in the immediate context here. And why does God bring it up with Adam first when he comes into the garden? Adam, where are you? In other words, chief, what are you doing? You know, I put you in charge. Well, I heard you coming, so I hid. And I put, you know, he didn't do anything. So there's a charge to lead. A husband has to be willing to lead. Um, I told you I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get stoned. I'm going all the way, baby, man. There's more to come. That's all just teasing, lighten it up a little bit. But um, whenever we have this discussion, we need to speak about the opposite of the issue. Some men want to dominate their wives. I don't think we should ever have the discussion without discussing both. Uh, some men want to dominate their wives, and this is not pretty. It's not a, it's not a pretty picture. The Bible teaches that, that the husband should lead the family, not dominate it. The Bible teaches the husband should lead his wife, not dominate her, not control her. There's just no room for a controlling spirit here. And let me apply the cross to the situation. And some of them might say the cross, you're going to apply the cross to the situation. How does the cross apply to this? All applies very powerfully to this. We can let the apostle Paul do the talking. If we go to say, for example, Ephesians five and verse 25, where he says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And while we're on that line, I think it's quite interesting that we're having this discussion in a verse that's only one verse away from the, from the gospel, isn't it? 
You notice that Genesis 3.16 comes after Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 is the first utterance of the gospel. And now here we are, one verse later, having this discussion. The gospel is nearby, isn't it? The gospel speaks powerfully to this. Listen to what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When we find ourselves being controlling, whether it be the sinful tendency of the woman to want to rule over her husband or the sinful tendency of the husband to want to dominate his wife, when we find ourselves being controlling, we find ourselves being ruled by self-love. By self-love. And we're loving ourselves, but the love that the husband is to have for his wife is a love that is self-sacrificing. I've shared this stuff at weddings, you know. That's a fun place to share this stuff. Because, you know, you've got sometimes pretty large audiences. And in our culture today, they're almost completely unbelieving audiences. You ever notice that? And they don't have a lot of compassion for what I'm saying. But one thing I've noticed is that this scorn that I've seen on women's faces has melted off when I said to, and I gave my charge to the husband who was about to exchange vows with his wife. And I've said, listen, the scriptures call you to love her with such a love that you would be willing to jump in front of a bus in order to protect her. I've watched those scorns melt right away off of those faces. Why? Because this is the way it's supposed to be. This is how God has arranged it. If we want our families to be strong, we can't, we can't do this our way. We've got to do this God's way. He's not going to bow and cater to our demands. He's the Lord. But besides that, our way is not the best way anyway, is it? Would anyone want to concede that our way is the best way? Women have a deep-seated need for this kind of affection. And I've watched it on their faces as I've seen those scowls and scorns as I've developed this. In those contexts, I've watched those scowls and scorns melt right off the face and I've had no less than a few of them come to me and say, you know, I never thought of that. That was really touching. Husbands, we are to love our wives so much To the wife, Paul says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, if you respect your husband, you will not attempt to dominate and control him. And husbands, if you love your wives the way the Bible calls you to love your wives, you'll not attempt to dominate or control her. In fact, how does the gospel apply to this? Well, you know, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And what does Jesus as head of the church, what does he do? He gives his life for her. He gives his life for her. With a self-sacrificing love that is so powerful and so beautiful that shall melt the hardest of hearts. So in conclusion, what do we have here in verse 16? We have pain and childbearing, don't we? It starts with pain and it multiplies in it. It starts with pain and pain multiplies in it. We need to understand that. Some of our older moms that are sitting here already do understand that very well. Uh, When you find yourself in a season of pain, it's hopefully not going to strike you as something strange. Having studied 
Genesis 3 and verse 16. Uh, but we have the gospel only one verse away. Yeah. It's just one verse away. Jesus has come. He's been born of the woman. He's crushed the head of the serpent. And he has come to begin reversing the devastating effects of the fall, hasn't he? And how does he do it? How can we know that Jesus is here? How can you? I want to offer a comfort and conclusion here. How do you know Jesus is here? How do you know he's with you? Because you're hearing Genesis 3 verse 16 opened up. I had a seminary professor, a friend of ours, Dr. Denny Pruteau. I heard him once say, how do we know where God is? Just look for his word. God is wherever his word is. How do we know he's here? You're hearing Genesis 3.16. That's no accident. He's here. He's definitely here. And his method is clear. Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Tell all the moms here this morning that Jesus knows your pain. That's what I want to say to Jesus knows your pain. Well, you say, well, how does Jesus know my pain? Well, he told you all about it back in Genesis 3.16. You can look at Genesis 3.16 when you're experiencing this pain. Kids are, everything's off its wheels. And everything's just flying off the wheels. You can go to Genesis 3.16. He says, I will surely multiply. Notice who's doing the multiplying. It's God. I will multiply your pain in childbearing. Does he know you're going through it? Does he know what you're going through? Better believe he knows what you're going through. He said it all the way back in Genesis. Before any parent had gone through it yet. Does he know? Yes, he knows your pain. He knows it long before any of us do. But isn't it comforting knowing that a wonderful, compassionate, strong Savior knows? You're not by yourself. Even when he doesn't understand what you're going through, because quite frankly, we oftentimes don't understand what you're going through. We're like a couple of bunch of blockheads. I mean, you guys don't get it. No, we don't get it. God's speaking to the woman here. You imagine how difficult it is to try to teach this stuff. I don't know what maternal pain feels like. I'm not a mom, for obvious reasons. But I've seen it. I've heard it described to me. That's all I can know about it. I know it's there. But Jesus knows it completely. He understands it completely. And whether it be the pain of a rebellious son or daughter or the pain of a controlling husband or the sin of wanting to rule over him, because if you're a believer and you do that, you're soon going to be convicted of it. Conviction of sin is painful. It's all pain, isn't it? Whatever it might be, Jesus knows that he's with you in it. He will empower and guide to see you through to the other side of it. And the end is near. The end is near. Life. And this pilgrimage really doesn't last very long. The end is near. And he will, take, he will take you into his arms. And one day he will wipe those tears from your cheeks. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the, the great text, Genesis 3.15. It's a fun text to preach. Genesis 3.16 is a harder text to preach. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you've given us Genesis 3.16. And I pray, Father, for our our mothers that are in this congregation that they'll become so conversant with Genesis 3.16.
that it will be etched upon their hearts, that they will find solace in it, that they'll find comfort in it, that they'll find understanding in it, that they'll realize that, okay, nothing strange is happening to me here, that you foresaw all of this long ago, and that they will always remember that the gospel is just one verse away. And in fact, you give us the good news of the gospel before you give us the bad news of the consequences of our sin. And Father, we thank you that that's the case. So Father, we pray uh, for the moms, not only in this congregation, but those who will listen to this message and those who are throughout our, our Ohio Valley, Father, we pray for them, Father. We recognize this morning the pain that they feel. Uh, it's unique to them. And Father, we ask for your comforting grace to be upon it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.